you. We bless you this morning. And I have good news this morning. Very good news. The gospel is good news. Right? Isn't it? It's good news. Right? So here's how this is. But, but good news doesn't mean anything unless you understand the bad news. So it's good news. It's bad news. Good news. And then really great news. That's how this kingdom works. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about freedom in Jesus. We talk a lot about what for whom the sun sets free and free is, is free indeed. But what exactly has he freed us from and what has he freed us unto? That's the question. So here's the bad news. So we talk about sin this morning. I think it's important in um, this modern culture and in the modern generation, Christians have lost all context of what sin actually is. They've lost all context of what sin not only is, but what sin actually does. And there's a huge void here. It's a topic that's not even talked about in churches anymore. You can watch a church for months on end oftentimes, or you can watch certain things, and the the teaching just doesn't ever come back to this narrative. And you say, why is this important? It's important because the Holy Spirit is sent into the world to bring people unto Christ. Can Can we agree with that? Right? So God, Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead, sent his spirit in order to empower his people to preach the gospel into the world. So how does the Holy Spirit work? The Bible says he works off of three premises. For the, for the person who's not a believer, he works off of sin, he works off of righteousness, and he works off of judgment. And if we do not proclaim a message, not a message of hope to the believer and restoration to the believer, all of those things are true. But to the unbeliever, we have to proclaim sin. We have to proclaim righteousness. And we have to proclaim the judgment that is impending should you reject what is right to God. So we have to give those messages because when you give that message, the Bible says that that is what the Spirit of God moves over. Romans tells us that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the gospel itself, the message of the gospel is the power of God. The message itself carries with it the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about sin and we talk about righteousness, you're you're fallen, you're not right, this is what's right to God, this is how you get right, that's a great message. But if you reject that, then there's nothing left. We have to proclaim that because that's what brings the conviction upon man's heart. And so what happens in our world, in America, we don't want anybody to feel bad. You know, we're a feeler generation feel. Oh, don't make people feel shame. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Don't make people feel conviction. Don't make people feel uneasy. That again is not what the Bible says. You know, Bible says by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. It says, right? So what are we, what are we afraid of? The impending judgment should we reject Christ? And so as Christians, we're called and compelled to not only be a part of a message like this, but we're called to support it. And the church is called to proclaim it in season and out. Not every Sunday, but some Sundays it's necessary. It's always necessary for us to understand what exactly we're saved from. And it's necessary for for those who don't know Jesus to know what they need to be saved from. We're all not saved. I don't know if you know that. There's not many roads to heaven. There's one. One. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Mankind has a terminal condition called sin. We all have it. And it's terminal. It's fatal. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us is born in sin. And every one of us has committed sin. And in that sin, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Which means it's God's best for your life. 
God's glory for you, the weight of his goodness for your life, we have fallen short of it. And how have we done that? Through sin. Sin is born in us and sin is committed through us. Bible says there is the root of sin, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit. And there is the nature of sin. They are two different things. The nature of sin and the root of sin is two different things. Not all sins are equal unto condemnation. They're not. Bible says that sin is darkness. Romans 121. This is how man fell into this darkness. This is how our ancestors fell into this darkness. This is how the world continues in its darkness. This is although they knew God. They refused to glorify him as God and they were not thankful, but became futile and empty in their hearts. And because they became futile and empty in their hearts, their foolish hearts were darkened in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Ready? Here it is. If there's a word that for this culture, it's right here. Professing themselves to be wise, they have become fools. I'll just say that again. Professing themselves to be wise. They have become fools, exchanging the truth of God for a lie, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. That's the root of man's sin right there. Self-worship. They knew God, but they didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. And so they refused him and they've worshiped and served themselves, professing themselves to be wise. We don't need you. We're going to go our way, becoming fools. That's how we are. Worshiping and serving the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So sin is darkness. It darkens the heart. Man's heart's darkened. Darkened. Jesus is the what of the world? The light of the world, right? He's the light. Contrasted with the darkness that's in us. Sin is bondage. Mankind is born in sin. Mankind without Christ is bound to sin. Sin or sin, people. It's what they do. (laughs) You're bound to it, which means where sin goes, you follow. Bound unto sin. It's the bondage of separation. So without Christ, we're separated. Separated from what? The knowledge of Christ and foreigners to the people of God. Outside of the family of God. Without Jesus, you're not in the family of God. So the Bible says, without Christ, you are not part of God's family. To those who believe in Jesus, to those who commit their lives unto Christ, they become sons and daughters. To those who received him, were given the right to be called sons and daughters. To those who what? Believed on his name. Not all are sons and daughters. We're not all God's children. We're God's creation. Big difference. Big difference. Huge difference. Foreigners to the people of God and having have no access or no part in the promises that God has made to his people. God's made great promises. We talk a lot about promises here. Promises are extremely important. And so without Christ, we are aliens unto him. We're foreigners to the family of God and we're foreigners to the promises of God. And it says, and you were living in the world without hope. People without Christ, you have no hope. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? Where's your surety? Where's your foundation? Last week we talked about building your house on the sand or on the rock. The rain's going to fall. The wind's going to blow. The flood's going to rise. What's your house founded on? This world, this economy, this world is passing away, the Bible says. Passing away. And if you ever watched the life of Jesus, he was really quick to get out of here. He didn't wait for another day. Right? 33 years. And he's like, oh, today's the day. Let's do it. 
I'm out. This world is passing away. There's a greater world that is to come. And the access to that world only comes through Christ. So we're living in the world without hope. So what are we bound to? What does sin bind us to? Transgression. So the bondage of sin is transgression. The word transgression means to cross the line. <laughs> we see the sin in our lives by the behavior of they're always, we're always crossing the line. We cross the line with Jesus. We cross the line with each other. And we cross the line with our own conscience. So it's transgression. So we're bound to transgression. The second thing we're bound to is iniquity. Iniquity is issues in the bloodline, which means it's inescapable. Sin is in the human nature. Sin is, trans, is imputed to us physically through Adam. All of us are sinners. Every little baby in the world, oh, babies are so innocent. Really? Are they? Wait, are they, you know, as soon as they start walking, they're not, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> mine. That's the toddler's creed. If I see it, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If it's yours, it's mine. <laughs> mine. When they discover the word no, it's another one. So we're born into transgression. So we're always crossing the line. We're born into iniquity. We're lost in all of our ways. We're lost to the knowledge of God. We're lost to the knowledge of ourselves. We're lost to relationships. We're lost to the world. We're lost in every way. Mankind is constantly looking for things to cling to. Constantly looking for something to lay hold of. Because we're lost. And we're hopeless and we're helpless. The third thing the Bible says about sin is that sin has been judged and sin has been condemned. So here's the idea. This is, this is always the conflict. This is always the rub with people, right? They're like, why does God send people to hell? The Bible says that he has judged sin. And if man is bound to sin, then where the sin goes, he will destroy sin, hell, and the grave. He will destroy it. And those that are bound unto sin will go where sin is destroyed. That's just a fact. God isn't looking at individuals and bringing individual condemnation. He has judged sin across the board. Sin is judged. This is, again, the arrogance of man's heart. Man believes that they can determine righteousness. A lot of freedom. We talk about freedom in our culture. And we think it's freedom to determine our own truths. Who told you that? We don't have the right. God has never given us the right to determine what is true and what is not. Righteousness is his alone. He's given us a lot of freedom. But that one he has not yielded. That's under his full sovereignty. His full sovereignty is that Jesus alone determines what is right and wrong. All judgment has been committed under the song. All. All judgment. And sin has been judged and sin has been condemned. It's the sin of condemnation. So here we're going we're gonna to push out. Not all sins condemn you. They don't. We talk about this a lot here because I want you to understand. And people think that, oh my gosh, I sinned last night, pastor. I've got to get born again again. I, I know you don't. You have to wash your feet. You've been walking in the mud again, right? But you don't need to get born again. The sin of condemnation. This is what condemns man. External sins do not condemn them. It's the internal sin of the heart that condemns him. He who believes in Christ is not condemned. But he who does not believe is already condemned. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not condemning you. You're already condemned. Why? Because you're under sin. And sin has been judged and condemned. So you are, you, your life is under the dominion of sin. 
We're either under the king's dominion or we're under the sin dominion. The Bible uses this word, the dominion of darkness. So we're either under the king's dominion or we're under the dominion of darkness. But I'm a good person. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You don't determine you as being right or wrong. You can't justify you. You don't get to say, I'm okay. You don't get to say that. Your opinion doesn't matter. The only opinion that matters is Jesus's. He's the one who justifies. Only him. (laughs) Only him. And when he justifies, he justifies you to the uttermost. So if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Not now, not ever. You say, my heart condemns me. That doesn't matter either. If your heart condemns me, God's greater than your heart. and He knows everything. It doesn't matter what your heart says. You get the picture? So to the sinner, to the person outside of Christ that says, I don't need Jesus, you don't get to say that. To the Christian that is born again and their heart is condemning them because of their inability to keep the sin nature within their members keeps coming around. You can't, you're not condemned. God is not condemning you in your actions. That's not to say that you have a license to do whatever you want. It's a struggle. God has grace for the struggle against the members, the sin in your members. And we're going to talk about that. Hopefully I'm talking about a lot of things. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about that. But we, as a non-believer, doesn't get to say that they're right. They don't get to say that they're wrong. Neither do you in Christ get to say that you're condemned. You don't get to say that. Who Christ has justified. He's justified you. You're right with Jesus. You may as well get it in your head. You're right with the Lord. If you're in Christ, you are justified. The Bible says this. Those in Christ have a predestination, a predetermined destiny. So this is what it looks like. I received Jesus. I am granted eternal life, life everlasting. That destiny is predetermined and cannot be altered. It is an unalterable destiny of the believer. Those who are converted in their hearts, not their mind. Those who are born again in their spirit, not their mind, have been granted a predetermined destiny that cannot be altered. Eternal life. You can't screw it up if you wanted to. It's the same principle that God used with Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham and Abraham was asleep. What kind of covenant is that? It'd be like getting married and your husband's taking a nap, you know, during the ceremony. (laughs) It's a one-way covenant. He told Abraham to do a certain thing. Abraham created a blood path, but he split the animals and the blood path was created and the Lord walked the blood path in fire. And he began to decree over Abraham's life and blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply you. Those that bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. He began to proclaim over Abraham's life. Abraham could do nothing to remove that blessing because it was granted by the decree of God and bound by blood. He couldn't screw it up if he tried. And if you read the story of Abraham, he tried to screw it up. He lied. He's pimping his wife. He's doing all kinds of crazy things. Hey, you want to sleep with my wife? Yeah. Well, she's not really my wife. She's my sister. So, you know, hey. I don't know, Pharaoh, what he got got to offer. And I'm sure his wife's looking at him like, are you kidding me? He did a lot of crazy things. He tried to screw it up, but he couldn't screw it up even if he tried. That's the covenant we have in Christ. Bound by blood in the decree of the Lord. Period. Those who are in Christ are forever forgiven. This is as the waters of Noah to me, Isaiah 54. As I swore in the daughters of Noah, I would never flood the earth. So I swear by this. What? The blood of Jesus. 53, 
Chapter 53 of Isaiah continues into chapter 54. Chapter 53 is the crucifixion of Christ. And it's carrying over that's a prophetic crucifixion of Jesus. And chapter 54 of Isaiah is a continuation of that. And he's referencing chapter 53. And he's saying that is as the waters of Noah to me. So as I swore at Noah's time, I wouldn't do this again. So I swear to you, I will be angry with you no more. He's not angry with you. Jesus is always in a good mood. If you're in Christ, he's happy to see you. Always. Because he doesn't see you. He sees himself. He wants nothing from you. He wants everything for you. Your behavior and your identity are two separate issues. The way you behave is not who you are. You understand that? The way you behave is not who you are. You might have children. Do your children behave as the person that they are? This is a conversation I'm always having with my children. Would you rise to the level of your birth, please? Would you please rise to the level of your upbringing? Would you rise to the level of your calling? Would you rise to the destiny that's over your life? Would you please? Somehow, some way, in my lifetime, can I witness you rising to the level of your birth? Please? Because who they are is not their behavior. Neither are you. And so when God looks at his people, when he looks at his sons and daughters, he sees them as sons and daughters, not at their behavior. Our job is to take our behavior and push it into the identity that is over our lives. That's our job. This is what discipleship is. I mean, we have so neutered the power of this kingdom. It's unbelievable how weak we make this. It's the glorious gospel. It's not saved in a sweet by and by. It's kingdom in the rotten here and now. (laughs) Come on. We are called to take our lives. God says, daughter. God says, son. And you are to go, really? And you are to take every part of your life and pursue that identity. You were to pound it in your head if necessary. You were to pound it in your heart if necessary. You were to pound it into every single choice you make. You are now, you are to refuse an identity that is beneath the one that he has established over you. You were to refuse it. I refuse any identity that is, that anybody wants to impart, including myself. If I see myself beneath the level that he has established, I'm wrong. I'm a son now, today, and forever. Always. God will never see me as anything yet but a son, ever. That's the high calling of the Christian. But because we don't have that understanding, here's where the church is. We're servants of Jesus, true. We're friends of God, true. But that's not the high calling. The high calling is sons and daughters. And so we're always trying to pursue the level of servitude. We're always trying to pursue the friendship with God. How about pursuing the sonship that is yours by right? How about understanding what does it mean to be a son of my father? What does it mean to be a a daughter of my father? What does that mean? What does that mean? What exactly does that mean? On all levels, that's what we're called to pursue. The sin of condemnation. The original sin is the rejection of God. Man became his own God. This is the root of sin. The root of man's sin is not smoking, drinking, and chewing, and hanging out with those that are doing. That's not the root of our sin. The root of our sin is self-worship. All sin comes from self-worship. Greed, murder, whatever you want, it comes out of self-worship, self-exaltation. Somebody says the root of sin is pride, but define pride. Pride is self-exaltation. 
Pride is self-worship. That is the root of sin. So when mankind says, I believe God's like this, I believe God's like this, I don't believe there is a God, who's right? Well, the, the only thing that they're doing is manifesting the root of their sin. The arrogance of their heart that actually tells them that they have the right to determine whether God exists or not. You don't have that right. Who gave you the right to say whether God exists or not? And so man, his foolish hearts become dark and professing themselves to be wise, becomes a fool. I'm so smart. I went to, I went to, you know, got my PhD and I've discovered that God doesn't exist. Oh, really? Professing yourself to be wise, you become a fool. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Foolish hearts darkened. Darkened hearts. And people want to sit there and say, I believe that all religions are the same. You don't have that right either. You don't have that right. That right is not given to you. But yet we're so arrogant that we actually think that we can. We actually think we can determine what is right and wrong. And all that does is it's evidencing the sin that is within us. That's all it's doing. You know, that's it. It's just manifestation of pride, manifestation of self-worship, manifestation of self-idolization. That's all it is. Man rejected God. He defines and creates his own ideas. Huh? (laughs) Or decides his own truths. This is the sin of separation. We're all born with it. Self-idolization. You see it in children. Real quick. As adults, we learn to hide it, but it's still there, right? Kids, they can't hide it. It's just there. You know, beating each other over the head with toys, taking it from each other, right? (laughs) My son was more of the rowdy breed. Some kids, they don't get what they want. They cry. Elias would just seize it, take it. If he wanted to ride the tractor, he'd just shove the kid off the tractor and get on the tractor. That was my son. <laughs> like this high. You know, we'd be looking at him mortified. Like, you know, all the parents would be like, who's, who, whose little boy is that? And I'd be like, oh, that would be my boy, you know. <laughs> he took what he wanted. So different, different ways of going about it, but nonetheless it's there. The sin upon which judgment is passed is the sin of self-idolization. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to our own ways. And the Lord has laid upon upon him the iniquity of us all. That was Adam's sin. And that is the iniquity that is in our bloodline. So the iniquity of sin that came from Adam was what Christ died for. What is that iniquity? All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one to our own way. That's the iniquity. That's the sin that condemns man. Not all sin condemns man. It's not an external action that condemns man. It's the heart that condemns. It's the unwillingness to bow the heart unto the lordship of Jesus Christ. And even when I say that, and I say you must be, if I looked at that camera right now and I told the people out there, you need to be born again. You need to completely submit and surrender your heart unto the lordship of Jesus Christ. Inevitably, pride is going to rise. Those that don't know him, pride is going to rise up. It's just going to rise up. It's going to defend him. It's going to defend you. Me, you say, you want to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I'm like, let's go, because I'm born again. What do you ask of me, Lord? Where do you want more? What do you, what, do you want anything else from me? I'll give you everything. It's all yours. I willingly bow to your Lordship. I willingly bow to your kingdom. I willingly bow. So anytime pride rises up against the Lord, it's not a sin of condemnation, because if you're a Christian, that's a different idea. But if you're, a believer, if you're not a believer, and the gospel message is brought to you, and says, you're a sinner... You're lost. You cannot save yourself. It's only through Christ and the complete and total surrender of your heart. (laughs) 
I used to, they used to, I used to do evangelism and all this stuff. And, you know, we'd go out, we'd do evangelism. And oftentimes at the church, you know, because people didn't know how to, oh, you know, this person wants to receive Jesus, Kevin, would you help them? And I'd be like, yeah, I'll help them. I, didn't, I never gave them a message that said, Jesus wants to be your friend. I never gave that message. Jesus wants to give you your best life now. I never gave him that message. I never gave that message because that is not the message of conversion. The message of conversion is absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. The lordship of Jesus Christ. Bow your knee. Bow your heart. That's how we get saved. If sin is rooted in turning away, then salvation comes from returning. It's the Hebrew word teshuva. You must return. Repentance, the number one word for repentance, the number one understanding is not the Greek word metanoia. That's a secondary issue to the Hebrew word teshuva. Metanoia means change the way that you think. Teshuva means return. So teshuva is repentance in the Hebrew. And so when Jesus said, teshuva, the kingdom of God is now. He said, come back to me because the kingdom is among you. We play, well, metanoia, you just come to Jesus and you just start changing the way you think. No, you return and you surrender unto his lordship. And it's through that surrender. And I would tell people, I'm like, listen, you're giving your life away. Do you understand that? You're surrendering your life to Christ. When you give your heart to Jesus, your life is no longer your own. That's what the Bible says. Let's just quote scripture. You were bought with a price. Your life is not your own. It no longer belongs to you. The life that I now live, I live unto his glory. That's what it means to be a Christian, guys. Your life doesn't belong to you. He purchased you. You know, we act like Jesus is a bellhop. We create him as an accessory. He's an accessory. He's here to make me live my best life now. Jesus, I'm not living my best life now. Where are you? Now, Christianity doesn't work. You're not born again. These musicians that want to post all these Instagram, these Christian quote-unquote worship leaders that want to say, Jesus isn't real. I would say to you, you're not converted. You are not born again. It is impossible to be converted and deny Jesus. Come on. You cannot be born again and deny so great a salvation when he lives in you. How can I deny the one that lives in me? He lives in me. I've had my issues with the church, man. I didn't go to church for a couple years. I grew my hair long. My mom would walk around with scissors going, oh, I just, I just, I just want to cut that hair, Kevin. I just, I just want to cut it. I was living. I didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Or not Jesus, but the church. I didn't want anything to do with it. But I never denied Christ because it was impossible for me to deny Christ. It was impossible. Even when I tried, his love was still there. Even when I tried, his heart was still there. I could always feel him. I couldn't get away from him because I was converted. Those who want to say, oh, this, all this nonsense about the gospel, and they want to take it out on Instagram, listen to me. You were never born again. Bible says you went out from us in order that it would be known that you were never of us. You went out from the faith that it would be revealed that you were never truly of the faith. To be born again is a living faith, Christian. It's not intellectual. It's conversion of the heart. It's not convincing you to believe the right things. It's surrendering your heart and the spirit of God comes in you and transforms you. It's beyond understanding. Being born again, you people go, I don't want to receive Jesus because I understand it. You'll never understand it. In an unconverted state, you don't even have the ability to understand it. You don't even have the ability. If this gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes. 
You can't even understand it. I tell the story with my brother. I was trying to witness to my brother. Right? I got born again. I was like on fire. I was like, I like burst into flames. I just, that's how it's happened to me, man. I, I got a hold of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I didn't know anything. I knew very little. I knew enough to be dangerous. <laughs> but I had people around me that would never try to quell me. They were always trying to push me forward. They were leading me into, into better places than where I was going. My mom would say to me, Kevin, don't talk to your brother about Jesus. Don't. Don't talk to him about Jesus. I'm like... Like, if he brings the subject up, I'm going there. I'm like, I got you, Mom, but that's not going to happen. I said, if he brings it up to me, I'm going there. And I'd, like, burst into flames with my brother. And I was, I was saying stuff that was like, like, somebody get me a pen. I was that good. I was like, wow, that's good. And after two hours of saying this, he didn't understand it. And I remember standing in the kitchen looking at him going, how can you not grasp this? And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, he doesn't know me. And because he doesn't know me, the only thing that he can understand or even grasp is that he is a sinner and needs to be saved. That's the only thing he can understand. Those that don't know Christ, you will never understand the gospel. You will never understand the kingdom of God until you are converted. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom. John 3. You can't see it or perceive it. You'll never be able to understand it unless you're born again. And you most certainly cannot enter it unless you're born again. Born of the water and born of the spirit. What does it mean to be born again? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what it means to be born. And you will be saved. The spirit of God will come into you. I don't understand it. You never will. You have to experience. Our faith is experiential. This is, this is the book of Galatians right here. Here's what the American church is. Okay? We have, to, we, have to, we have to identify this. We have to compare the original to what we're actually doing. Some of you, you create, there's a lot of originality. So we have to create what God meant originally, and then we have to look over here and say, does this line up with the original? Does it line up with the original? That's the question. Is what we're doing lining up with what God wants from us? Being born again, it's all in or nothing. Jesus said, it's either you gather to me or you scatter from me. (laughs) That's it. That's it. So we have to pursue that life. We have to pursue it. All freedom apart from Jesus is an illusion. Man's perception of what freedom means, we think it's unrestrained expression. That has nothing to do with it. Psalm 2 says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves together and the rulers take counsel together. Where? Against the Lord and His anointed. That's against the Father and the, whole, and, and the Son. So what does, what does man say? Let us break our bonds in pieces. Whatever unites us with him, let us break it. That's the story of our culture. Silence all gospel voices. Every other religion can have a voice. But the name of Jesus is what the opposition comes. Let us break the bonds. It's not against the Father. It's against the anointed. Anti-Christ. Anti-anointing. Anti-power. Anti-glory. Let us take counsel together against the Lord and let us break whatever we are bound to him by. Let's destroy it. Whatever cords connect us to him, let us cut them. It says the Lord in heaven laughs. Why does he laugh? It's almost like good luck. You were made by me. You were made for me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a vain and empty pursuit. And that's what life is continually telling us. 
Life without Christ, life without God, life without purpose, life without His anchor, life without His presence is a vain, empty pursuit. All roads don't lead to heaven. Atheism, agnosticism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, cults, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, New Age, pick one. Scientology, they all say it's by human effort. And they all say that, all of them. The problem with that is, is you can't bring justification to yourself. You can't justify you. <laughs> because the problem is you. You're the problem. <laughs> you are the problem. Paul said, I did everything outwardly perfect. Everything I did outwardly was perfect. What condemned Paul, Paul, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, Hebrew of Hebrews, he said, what woke me up was when I read, you shall not covet. Because everything else he did externally. I didn't kill anybody. I haven't lied. I show up to Sabbath on the same day. I'm, I, you know, I honor my mother and father. I, you know, I'm not stealing people's stuff. You know, everything he did was outwardly. Until he got to the 10th commandment. And it says, you shall not covet. And he said, how am I supposed to do that? Because coveting comes from the heart. Okay? Everything else is an external. And Paul's like, I can't change what's in my heart. I have no ability to change my heart. And so somebody would say, well, he was able to keep 9 out of 10 commandments. But you don't understand the premise of the law. The Hebrew law, the law of God says if you're guilty of one part, you are guilty of the whole. If you cannot maintain and keep the standard of perfection, you are guilty of the whole of the law. So nine out of ten doesn't work. People go, well, I keep six out of ten commandments, man. So when I stand before God, I'm going to tell him, hey, I kept six out of (laughs) ten. And he's going to say, guilt, if you want to live by law, guilty of the part, guilty of the whole. That's the way it's structured. It's absolute perfection. You cannot justify your health because the problem is on the inside. Problem is on the inside. Jeremiah 2.22 says, Though you wash yourself with lye, and though you use much soap, yet your iniquity remains before me. You clean up all the outside stuff. You whitewash that house, man. You power spray the roof. You get new shoes. You get a haircut. Right? You go down and get yourself some cologne. You smelling good, looking good, breezy. And God says, without me, your iniquity is still there. Still there. There's nothing you can do to remove the iniquity. And then he says this in Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make them white like snow. Though they're red like crimson, I'll make them as pure as wool. So here's the sin problem with man. Man's trying to clean it up on the outside. And the Lord says, you can't do it, but I can't. You can't fix you, but I can. Then Ezekiel says, what's it going to look like? So here we have three of the major prophets speaking in harmony. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is what it looks like. I'm going to make you clean. I will cleanse you from the filthiness and the idolization of the life that you have lived. From worshiping everything else. When you come to Jesus... And literally, Christian, when you fire up the heart of God within you, if you're truly born again, nothing else matters. Jesus is everything. That's when you know you are really born again, because it doesn't matter. You may not always be in that moment, but when you get in that moment, nothing matters but Jesus. There's no idol. There's nothing you care about. There's nothing you want. You want him and him alone, and you don't understand why. Because he cleanses you in the spirit of your idolatry. He cleanses you. No idol matters. 
He's the only one that matters. He cleanses you from the earth. Now we'll give you a new heart. Here you go. So the problem is you. You can't fix you. God says, I can. How's he going to do it? He's going to put a new heart in you. Come on. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to take the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you. So here we go. This is important. I shared this a few weeks ago. It bears repeating. Right? I put my spirit in you. What does the spirit do? To cause you to walk in my statutes and to cause you to keep his word. So what's the implication here? You cannot keep the ways. Say it with me. I cannot keep the ways of the Lord without the Holy Spirit. I cannot keep the word of God without the Holy Spirit. That's good in the Galatians. Foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, our faith is experiential. Is it not? Our faith begins by experience. We don't begin by knowledge. We come into the kingdom and we're born again through an experience. We're born again through an encounter. And Paul is saying, don't you get it? If you started in the spirit, you have to go forward in the spirit. You can't start in the spirit and then step over into external works and think you're going to be able to do it. You can't. That's what Ezekiel's saying in here. My spirit will enable you to follow my ways. My spirit will enable you to keep my word. What's that look like in practical terms? I believe Paul was an experiential guy, right? They didn't have a New Testament. Paul was writing the New Testament. So how was he, on what basis was Paul writing the New Testament? He was basing it on Old Testament knowledge, some of it, such as these passages here. But a lot of the things that Paul was doing, he was discovering by experience. He was pressing into this new faith and he was discovering things. Huh? Did Paul know that healing cracks, that he could anoint a a napkin and hand it to somebody and he'd get healed? He didn't know that. He probably just said, I don't know. I can't go here. Let's just try this. Go, Go slap this oil rag on him and see what happens. And they came back and they're like, Paul, it worked. He goes, it worked. Let's do it again. He's R&Ding this faith. He's pressing in to understand what works. So as he's walking this faith out, he begins to understand. If I walk in the spirit, as he is in the spirit, then I don't fulfill the selfish desires of my flesh. Paul discovered that. He's like, wow. It was so real to him that he said, I'm going to teach this to the church. Because he had experienced it by faith. And that's why he was able to tell a church, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the selfish desires of the flesh. Walk in the light as he is in the light. How was he able to say that? Because he lived it through encounter. He was able to teach it, not because he read it from someone, but because he himself had experienced it. So that's what he's saying. This is what the Bible is telling us, that in the spirit we can keep the word of God. You can't keep it in the flesh. This is why we're always condemned. You know, and, and... you know, we, we have churches, and now we're on the other end of the spectrum, but we used to have churches that would just beat people up. Can't keep it, you know? And so it creates this religion where everybody's trying to live externally. We're all trying to prove to everybody that we got our lives together when we all know we don't. Oh, can I get a witness? You're trying to prove to everybody with your manicured lawn and your new car and your nice shoes and your nice house. You're trying to prove to everybody that you got it together when inside it's a train wreck. And the reason that it's a train wreck is you're trying to do it on your own. You're not partnering with the spirit. I teach this to people and they go, wow, this seems like a lot of work. It's the fight of faith, Christian. It's not work. It's the word ergon. 
It's an energy exerted in, or exousia. You are gone. You are working into the spirit in order to receive from the spirit, in order to release the spirit. This is how this game is played. Ergon unto the spirit, into the spirit, and then from the spirit, exousia, releasing the spirit. What's that look like? Try it out. I tell you, just worship before five minutes before you go to work. Worship. Whatever, just put one worship song on that just gets you there. Whatever whacks you, find that one and go there and take that. And just five minutes. On five minutes, just get into worship. Let the spirit of God come upon you and then go about your day. And you tell me it wasn't different. You tell me your day wasn't different. In the spirit, out of the spirit. I'm telling you. Take five minutes. Jesus is the provision for mankind. We, have, we are born of Adam. We have to be born again. This is the gospel. All of us are born of Adam. We must be born again. Born of the blood of Adam. Because iniquity is in the bloodline, you see. The issue is in the blood. The iniquity is the problem. The transference of sin throughout our generations. The iniquity in the blood. So therefore, we are born of the blood of Adam. We must be born of the blood of Jesus. And in the blood of Jesus, there is no iniquity. And watch this. So we're born of Adam biologically. So if you want to take biblical context or how God's created you, your biology is the lowest level of your creation. Do you know that? That's the lowest. God doesn't even basically deal with the body. Because it's the low, if we're a spirit, soul, and body. So we have three-part being, that's what we are. We are a spirit, that's what makes you you. You have a mind, you have a will, and you have emotions. All of us have that. But my spirit is different than your spirit. Your spirit is different than my spirit. Our spirit is, makes us who we are. Yet we all have a mind, will, and emotion. That's the soul. So we have the body, the soma, we have the, the, the soul, the psyche, and we have the spirit, which is the pneuma. We are a three-part being. So when God is speaking to you, he doesn't talk to your soul. He doesn't talk to your body. He talks to your spirit. Why? Because he talks to the highest part of your being. We think our bodies are the highest part of our being, when in fact our bodies are the lowest part of our being. We live by our body impulses because we think that's what's important. But we're so confused. This is how lost we are. That's why Jesus almost gives no reference for the body. Give no thought for what you were eat, what you were wear. He gives it's like give no thought for that. Focus on this. That doesn't mean you just don't wear clothes. I mean, but he's trying to emphasize what the level of importance. And so God speaks to you at the level of importance, which is your spirit. That's why that's when you get born again. Not, your spirit changes. And then we begin to sanctify, that is, conform our will, conform our mind, and conform our emotions. That's called sanctification. So we become sanctified. It looks like this. I think it's Romans 7. Predestined and called. You have a predetermined destiny unto heaven, as I was talking about earlier. You have a calling. It's the Greek word ekkaleo. It means called out and unto. So you're called out unto the Lord and then you're sent forth from the Lord. So you have a predetermined destiny that's in the world to come. You, every single Christian in this room, every single believer watching online, you have a calling. You have a kaleo that's over your life. You do. You have a purpose in this world. You have a calling in the kingdom. You have a summons that's over your life and you have a summons unto. So you are predestined eternally and you have a kaleo in this world. And it says, how do we do that? And then it says, because he's justified you. 
So our calling is manifested through understanding that we are justified. God's made you right. Justified by faith. And it says, whom he justified, he what? Sanctified. This is the process where most people are in. So if you look at these three words that he speaks in Romans, he says this. He says, justified, sanctified, and glorified. And you can see what God wants to do with your life. The word glory, we teach it. It's the word kavod. means weight. The weight and the substance of goodness. God's desire is to put in the weight and the substance of goodness on your life. Well, how do you do that? Well, the first thing is you're justified. Well, I know you're justified. Do you know that you're justified? Do you know you have a right? Do you know you're a son and daughter? Do you know you have inheritance? Do you know that? Do you pursue that? Do you activate that? How's your neck? No pain. 40 years in pain. Right here. 40 years. We see healings here all the time. All the time. 40 years he's, ha- he's been in pain. And I talked to him on Thursday and he said the last six months have been excruciating. He got prayed for here last week. No pain. 40 years of pain. 40. You understand that? Why did that happen? Because it's his by right of inheritance. Healing is his by right of inheritance. It belongs to you. He didn't have to beg for it. He didn't have to throw sackcloth and ashes. Oh, Jesus, if you see me, please, would you, could you, should you? It's his by right of inheritance. And God had a word for him. And Charmaine came and gave him a word. And boom. said, God's not removing it. He's breaking it. And boom, there it goes. And then Ian was telling me, and I believe this is a living word too, that his neck is just going to open up. And that all the stiffness is going to go. It's still stiff, but he has no pain. And I felt the spirit when he told me that. I was like, wow, that's, a, that's, that's good. He's like, yeah, I just wanted to open up. And when he went like that, I was like, wow, that's, I believe that's going to happen. Why? It's yours by right of inheritance. Do you know what's yours, Christian? If you knew the gift of God that was in front of you, you would ask. If you knew who you were and if you knew who he was, do you know? Do you know you're justified? So if you want to talk about glory in our lives, manifesting glory and bringing forth the kingdom, the glory of our calling and our hope, the first thing we got to know is who we are. I am justified. I walk around, I tell this around, sometimes I tell around other leaders and I'm like, I'm a son of the highest. They look at me like, what are you talking about? Because I use that language. Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I'm a son of the highest. I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. They look at me like, who do you think you are? And I'm like, I don't think I'm anybody. I'm who Jesus says I am. That's who I am. I, I didn't give myself that title. You understand? I didn't send in a resume requesting that. He gave it to me. He gave it to me. And if I understand this gospel correctly, I am to pursue my identity. Because I want glory. Not for me. I want his glory. You understand that? It's not self-glorification. It's Jesus' glorification. I want the weight of the substance of my life. Because I'm going to stand before him and I will present my life to him as will you. What will you present? Every believer will present their lives before Jesus. Everyone, parable of the talents. What did you do with what I gave you? Well, what did you give me? I gave you salvation. What did you do? I spent my life passionately pursuing what it meant to be a daughter. I spent my life passionately pursuing what it meant to be a son. And this is what I've gleaned for you, Lord. Don't come before Jesus empty handed. He still loves you. But that is the last thing you want on that day is to come before the Lord empty handed. I will not. I will not. I refuse. You will stand in a hall of honor. The way we present this kingdom and what we're going to do when we come before him, we think it's just this like band playing and everything's fine. You're going to present your life. 
You will give an account. The believer gives an account unto reward. The unbeliever gives their account unto judgment. The Christian is recounted unto reward. What will you offer him? Do you have anything? Anything at all? The minimum standard is to support the gospel. Support the gospel. And trust it with the stewards. That's the minimum standard. He's okay with that. I funded the gospel. He's like, good job. Good job. I'm in a pursuit to present nations. I want to present tongues and tribes. I want to present not just cities. I want to present nations. What do you bring? I'll be like, bring them in. This is what we bring, Lord. You have honors being part of a functioning church. What, the, what that church produces, you become a part of that. So what Elevate produces, if you're a part of Elevate, this you have an inheritance with this. Everything that goes on in this church isn't about me. I'm responsible collectively, but I'm also responsible individually. And I'm responsible individually to bring the people collectively so that we as a church can present something. Right? Try that one on. God's looking at me as a pastor to say, did you bring my people collectively together to pursue a reward? Did you do that? Did you do that? So I have a double standard. I have this thing that I'm supposed to do to lead collectively. And I have this thing that I'm, I have a calling on my life individually. That's, that's, that's the, the dynamic. But it's good, man. Heralding from the rooftops. Heralding. This world means nothing. It means nothing. Store up treasures, not where moth and rust corrode. Now what he said? Did he stutter? Was he being poetic? Store up where moth and rust does not corrode. Lay those up there. How do we do that? Oh, we don't know. I'm telling you how we do it. We advance his kingdom. We collectively come together and go about our father's work. We push and reach for what is beyond our reach. We believe God for the impossible. Free from condemnation. This is the root of, we're free. There's no condemnation. The Christian is completely free. You're free from the law and its requirements. There's no law and when this, and I'm going to be really clear here. This offends some people, but that's okay. Jesus offended a lot of people too, so it's okay. But say this with me. The Ten Commandments were not meant to be kept. Huh? We have churches trying to teach people how to keep the Ten Commandments. How's that working? You can't keep the Ten Commandments. You can't. The Bible says that the law is a mirror. And it's a schoolmaster. It's a mirror to show man that he's sinner. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have no idols before him. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't steal. Right? Eight, eight is don't commit adultery. <laughs> don't covet and don't bear false witness. Or don't bear false witness and don't covet. That's the Ten Commandments right there. Anybody lied? You've not kept the Ten Commandments. Right? Anybody wanted to kill somebody in their heart? I didn't say you actually did it, but you're like... <laughs> you've broken it. We won't even get into lust, because we all know we're guilty there. And you just confessed that you were a liar, so don't tell me... <laughs> don't be telling me you haven't lusted after somebody after you told me you were a liar. Don't do it. There's no more requirements of the law. Colossians says he's wiped them out. Wiped them out. The ceremonial law and the restrictions and the confinement of the law is removed. Gone. Gone. You don't have to keep the law. 
The law of liberty in Christ Jesus is what we keep. We keep the law of the Spirit. There again, we follow the Holy Spirit. Moses couldn't keep the law. The children of Israel couldn't keep the law. Nobody could keep the law except Jesus. And he tore the whole system down and he made a new covenant because the old one couldn't get it done. And he knew it. Free from the power of Satan. Big story here. I'm going to move quick. What's the power of Satan? What power does he haul? He has no power over you, Christian. None at all. The number one thing the Bible says that the, that the devil holds, it tells us in um, Hebrews, is that he holds the power of death. And you're free from death. You are free from death. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Death and grave have been swallowed up in victory. It says Hebrews 2.14, As much as we are children, we partake in a flesh and blood. He himself did the likewise, so that through his life, so here it is, Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus could overcome the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. He crushed his head and released those who fear of their lives, their whole lives were subject to bondage. Man is afraid of dying. You're not afraid of dying at 21 years old. But you start pushing 40, you start pushing 50, and, and you got more years behind you than you do in front of you, and death becomes a real occurrence to you. It becomes a real subject. You start having health issues, or you start having a crisis, and death becomes a real subject to you. Mm-hmm. So I don't care what, you know, people are like, oh, I don't fear, you're, you, you. death into the unknown. I mean, in Christ, it's like, bring it on. I'm ready. Are we going today? Is it happening now? To live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm, I, I'm in. I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it. I don't fear it. My only concern is I want to live so that I can give more to him. That's the only reason. Are you serious? You think that his world isn't better than this one? You don't think his world isn't better? He would. It's like his world is way better. And the life that I now live, I live unto Christ. The only reason I want to live is not so I can build a retirement home. I want to live so that I can propagate the gospel. I have made my choice. I have made my choice. I have chosen the kingdom. And I choose nothing else. That's it. That's it. Everything in my life has to correspond with that or I don't want it. I don't want it. I made my choice. (laughs) I don't want to live so that I can go fishing or what. I mean, I'm not opposed to any of these things, but that's not the purpose of my life. Everything that I do is to him. Every year that I have left is to him. I'm actually mapping it out how much time I have left. I'm looking at the years of my life and projecting approximately by faith how many years I have left. And I'm measuring what I can actually accomplish within those years. Not for myself, but for the kingdom. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, Lord, what can I get done in this period of time? I don't want to leave unfinished work. I don't. I don't. I want to finish it. I've run the, I have finished the race, Paul said. I want to finish it. What he sets before me, I want to do. And I want to believe him for something great and something amazing. And if you believe God for something amazing, he will put it, it'll be seemingly impossible to you seemingly impossible. You'll start talking about it and people will be really enthralled with the vision and then they'll think, how's that going to happen? Well, it's not going to happen because of your ability. It's going to happen because he's going to tell you. We're going to touch nations. We will touch nations. We will. It is guaranteed. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. We're not only going to touch nations, we're going to transform nations. We're going to transform nations. You guys want to hear a story? I'll tell you the big vision. You guys want to hear a story? Yeah. All right. 
I've got three minutes to tell the story, and then I'm going to close. Tell it. Okay, I'll tell it. So we're doing preschools. Why are we doing preschools? Because we want to full, we want to fund Elevate Global. We want to take the orphanages in India, and we want to take them and turn them into training grounds. Where throughout telling Alex, I said, what if we took a 12-year-old in that school, in those orphanages, and we started training them from the time they were 12, and we trained them as church planters? I said, what will we do? And I said, and we took that 12-year-old, and after six years of training them with a mindset and a kingdom mentality, we put them into a, to, into a mentorship program with some of the churches we've already established. And so now they go into a three-year mentorship program into that church, into a church. And then at 21, we begin to release them and activate them. What would happen then? Come on. What would happen if we began to raise up people who became teachers within the preschools, who not only went and started churches, but now we start other orphanages? You can start a revolution this way. You want to sweep a nation in 25 years? You can do it. You're not doing it in five But you can start initiating it and activating it within 10. Absolutely. It's possible. And not just doing it in India. We want to do it in South Africa. We want to do it in the Philippines. We want to do it in Honduras. We want to do it wherever God would tell us to go. We want to create a model and replicate that model. Replicate it. We have an idea for a school. And even in the school, we want to teach these kids microfinance. We want to teach them how to do businesses and how to do skills and how to be a better citizen. All of these different things within the school. But identifying students within that process that have a hunger for Jesus. And raising up worship leaders out of that. It's a ready crop, man. 200 kids in an orphanage? What's the vision for their life? Does God have a vision for them? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And what's he looking for? Somebody to activate a vision. What do you say, Lord? I was, I was asking him. I'm like, where are we going to get all these church planners from? I'm like, okay, the first we got, we're working with 20 right now. It's like, where are we going to get the rest of the church? Where's it going to come? And they're like, okay, that's cool. But what, like, like we need a bench. We need a farming. We need like a farm system. And the Lord's like, use the orphanages. And I went, we're going to change the, we want to help change the curriculum within these schools. We want to teach them specific things, specific things, not the, the, the reading, the writing, all that stuff's basic. We want to use it, man. You say, this seems so far out there, Kevin. It's going to happen. I'm telling you now. It's going to, is it going to be easy? It's not going to be easy. It's going to happen. What's your vision? You got a vision? This is the vision of this church. You're part of this church. This is your corporate vision. I'm sharing with you part of the corporate vision. We're changing everything around because I've been seeking the Lord. I've been asking Jesus, what do you want? And he told me two things. Create a worship experience and turn the church into a media center. You're like, what does that mean? I don't know. But that's what we're doing. And so you're going to see it's going to be way more experiential in here from the worship standpoint in the next month. You're going to see. (laughs) That's right. And we're going to create a media center. Everything about this church is going to be centered on media. Every single thing. Every single thing. Why? Because we're supposed to touch nations. We're going to work on the ground and we're going to work through the airwaves. We're going to fight on the land. We're going to fight on the sea. We're going to, you know, wherever it is. We're going for it. We're duking it. We're taking it. And you need to understand why there's such violent opposition against this church. You understand that? The enemy doesn't oppose the church. The enemy doesn't oppose pastors. The enemy opposes the kingdom. The dominion of God is what suffers the opposition. Not attendance. 
It's the vision in the kingdom, the domain of God pressing into the world. The enemy will violently oppose it. Violently. With everything he's got, he will oppose it. We're talking about taking territory that's never been taken. In generations, since the beginning of time, this has never been done. Say, so who do you think you are? I don't think I'm anybody. I'm a son of the highest. That's who I am. And I want, the fa- I want the high calling of my father over my life. And when I ask him what the calling is and what do you want, it's beyond my reach. If you ask God what he wants from you and who you are and what he wants you to accomplish, it's going to be beyond your reach. It's going to be, don't freak out. You're not supposed to freak out. But don't hold it up as a dream either. Here's the other thing. God gives you the dream and you hold it up and it's beautiful. And you're like, wow, this dream is so beautiful. And all we do is nurture a dream for 20 years. Don't nurture the dream. Activate the dream. Press into the dream. Press into the vision. Go through, over the river, through the woods. Or go around the opposition. Go over the opposition. Dig a tunnel if you have to. Cast aside everything that's opposing. But press in. And I would say that to those of you watching by online. If you don't know Jesus, what's keeping you? What's keeping you? There is nothing greater in life. The one thing you cannot do. You can do a lot of things wrong and you can miss a lot of opportunities. But you cannot miss the opportunity to give your life to Christ. You say, I've heard this before. You may never get another chance. You may not. The Bible says, my spirit will not always, will not always strive with man. God's been reaching for you for a while now, and you won't listen. There's no promise that he's going to do it again. There's no promise. He said, I'm not always going to strive with you. You have an opportunity. Don't deny it. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to Christ. God does not wish man to die. God does not wish man to perish. That's not his heart. That's not his intention. His heart is to reach mankind, not condemn mankind. This is John 3. God, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Jesus came to save, not destroy. Mankind's already under sin. Jesus could have, the Lord could have done away with the whole process. Could have, and you and I would have never lived. But he's given us the gift of life, and he's given us a great opportunity to receive him. And if you've never received him, you can, you can receive him. You can be saved and you can be free. Second Corinthians says, in the acceptable time, I will hear you. You're like, yeah, in the acceptable time. In the day of salvation, I will help you. Yeah, in the day of salvation. And then he goes on to say, today is the acceptable time. And today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's right now. So I've never done this before. That's all right. It's okay. I don't understand it. You don't need to understand it. You need to believe it. So we're going to pray together as a church. If you're watching online, there's other people there. Maybe you're a guest in someone's home or whatever. Don't make that person feel awkward. Everybody pray together. Just pray together. We're not isolating anybody. We're going to pray as a group. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. But if you deny me before men, you I will deny before my father. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. You have to come out and be numbered. Christians are given armor, not camouflage. It's who and what we are. Jesus hung openly on a cross for you. Naked, wounded, bleeding. He rose from the grave for you. And all he asks for you to do is confess him publicly and give him your heart. So we're going to pray. Simple prayer. Let's pray together. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. 
And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. If you did that, we'd love to hear from you. Elevate Miami Church at Gmail. Send us an email message. Love to hear with, from you. Love to connect with you. Those of, our, those of you that are part of our faithful family at Elevate, and you know who you are, the giving link is on the bottom of the thing. Your tithes and offerings during this time are much appreciated and honored, and we bless you for that faithfulness. And then lastly, we're going to just speak a blessing. God commanded this blessing upon his people. Isn't it crazy? He commanded it. He told Aaron, every time the people are together, and when you dismiss them, you say this prayer over them. This is called the Aaronic blessing or the priestly blessing. So I'm going to bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you guys. Have a great week.